the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Hello, and thanks for joining us. For those of you new to our program, thank you so much. We know you have a lot of choices, so we appreciate you spending time with us today. We want to tell you about the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. First of all, if listeners would like a second opinion on their portfolios, if you'd like Josh Pick to check it over and see how you're doing, you can take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. And here's what happens. Just schedule a 15-minute call with Josh, and you will get a $25 gift card in return to support our local community. The number is 614-364-7300 it's one per household and this is really the most effective for portfolios of $250,000 and up so let's get into the show Josh what advice would you give to a retiree to help them make it through a down market well one I think you know know that they happen and if you're retired let's say you retire today it seems like about every six to eight years there's a pullback so theoretically, you're going to see another, you know, three or four of these, God willing, uh, in the rest of your retirement years. So it's not unusual. That's the first takeaway is this time is, while everybody will say this time is different, and I'm sure it will be in many capacities and the, the impetus that caused the downturn or whatever the, the correction in the market was quote unquote caused by may be different. But the concept of having a pullback is not different. It's just ebbs and flows in the economy and it's a normal thing. Um, so step one, have patience, have discipline, and have a plan. And hopefully for everybody as they entered into COVID, they had that plan set up before COVID hit. But for many of the people listening, I'm sure they didn't. And I'm sure it uh, took them by surprise and maybe you know had a, a little bit more dramatic effect than they were hoping. Uh, that coupled with the fact that hopefully they weren't in the capacity, they weren't in one of those uh, many folks who lost their job all at the same time category. But you know when these things happen, the downside to them is you you lose a bunch of money in the market, the economy contracts, uh, fear and panic set in, and you have the potential of losing your job. So step one and how do we deal with that is I know it sounds somewhat counterintuitive, but make sure you bolster your emergency fund always. Um, when the market is going very, very well, we don't want to have that much money in cash because it seems foolish. It seems like, 
you know, I'm giving up so much in, in the way of gains in the market because I have all this money, this dead asset sitting in cash. When in reality, that dead asset or that asset that's earning very, very little will allow you the opportunity to not be as panicked when things happen with the market, will allow you the opportunity to ride out these waves and will give you that assurance that you know, um, I'm covered for a period of time, so I'm okay. So again, stepping back to that discipline, planning, and patience, have patience knowing that the economy will rebound, have the discipline to wait out these fluctuations and know that it will in fact rebound, and then have a plan, whether that's just simply an emergency fund or some sort of risk management system inside of your retirement planning to kind of handle these different fluctuations. But that had to have been handled in the planning phase. So if you did not do planning before this recent gyration, please, please, please go set up a plan, uh, call our office, say, you know, I, I got caught with my pants down proverbially and I didn't, I didn't see this one coming. And it really hurt. And the closer and closer I get to retirement, the more and more I fear and worry about what if this happens again? Will I have the, the fortitude, the intestinal fortitude to be able to wait this one out? Or will I finally have that last panic and pull all my money out of the market knowing that I'll never get it back? And unfortunately, Diane, what I see so many times is people get, they last, they deal with all these fluctuations over time, but now they're, they're getting to that five and one yard line. I'm I'm 60, 65, 70, or maybe even, you know, I've been retired for a while, I'm 75. And the, this downturn, I realized I don't have as much time to recoup. I don't have as much um, just wherewithal to handle this anymore. And I can't stand watching my million go to 700,000. So I'm just gonna pull it off. I'm gonna get, uh, I'm off the, off the treadmill of the market, I'm done. And that's obviously a poor decision because you're never going to get that money back. So you have to have a plan of reducing risk over time so that it's not a knee jerk one way or the other, depending upon what the market does. And I think you do a great job of, of setting the expectation with your clients that this market is cyclical and you have to plan for times like these. Well, I think expectations are everything, Diane, particularly in you know, just being able to explain to people the way that maybe not the way that the market works. That's a much bigger conversation. But what expectations are if you invest in the market in different capacities, meaning we can take on more risk, but this is what that roadmap's going to look like, or we can take on less risk, and this is what this roadmap's going to look like. Which one are you more comfortable with? And then as long as we stick to those parameters and stick somewhat close within the, the guardrails of that road, then everybody's kind of on the same page and you're okay with it. If you know that you have the possibility of losing 10% and you lose 10%, well, then you, you have a little bit more comfort level of it. But if you say, I want to set out a plan where I never lose more than 10%, you're down 30 or 40, then panic sets in. So you need to know what your risk tolerances are and you have to have a plan that's going to stick to them. And don't you find, I mean, I think I can be, uh, my risk tolerance is, is pretty strong. But when it actually happens, I fold like a deck of cards when something bad happens in the market. And then also human nature kicks in when the market is going gangbusters and, and we've, uh, we're in a bull market for so long, people get a little bit greedy. So how do you, how do you temper that? It's so difficult because you're absolutely right. You know, fear and greed are the two most powerful motivators and the market brings out both of those in, in very strong form. Um, I think when the market's doing very, very well, then you combat that with what is, again, getting back to the plan. What is the plan? What risk are we willing to assume and why? Because what goes up will invariably come down. And it's very difficult when the market's doing really well. We all have that friend who tells you how they made a bazillion dollars on Amazon or Tesla. But the reality is 
Those are anomalies. They're probably not telling you the whole story about how they lost on the other 80 picks. We have to have a disciplined, measurable approach so we can make sure that our arrow hits our target, not that we get to brag at a cocktail hour or that our arrow hits somebody else's target. The key is, you know, comparison is the root of all pain. Do not compare yourself to others. Make sure that you're on the right path for you. If you would like a second opinion on your portfolio, if you'd like Josh to check it over and just see how you're doing, you can take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. You just schedule a 15-minute call with Josh, and he will give you a $25 gift card to support the local community. The number to call is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. And the website is aptuswealth.com. Josh, how can you determine what the best retirement vehicle is for our listeners? Well, I think first, let's say that, you know, we need to start using something because it's no mystery to, I'm sure, everybody listening to the show that on average, Americans aren't saving enough. Uh, Matter of fact, I saw a stat just recently that uh, about half of households headed by somebody who's 55 years of age or older. So we're not talking about 30 year olds. We're talking about people who are within 10 years of retirement have zero retirement savings at all. And then Social Security is kind of the fallback for that, which is obviously a, a in question, and I'm sure we'll talk about uh, many, many times over the, the history of our show here. But um, the retirement plans are plentiful, so they're there for you to take advantage of. You just got to actually take the discipline to go do it. So let's cover what some of those are. There's two ways to essentially invest for retirement. The most common way is, and I'm saying two most common vehicles that people use. I mean, obviously, there's, there's, uh, you can get into investment real estate and, and a whole host of things. But in general, there's two ways to invest. One is qualified investing. And qualified simply means all the alphabet soup, the 401k, the 403b, the TSPs. And all of those are, is 401k is a line in the tax code that says, if I work for a profitable company, not a nonprofit, then I can put money out of my paycheck into this investment vehicle before I get taxed on those dollars. The money that I put into the vehicle will grow tax deferred, but then every dollar that I pull out of that will become taxable. That does not mean that it's taxed at a certain rate. That depends on your scenario, but it does go into the taxable column. And 403B is the exact same thing, but for people who work for non-for-profit companies. TSP is for federal employees. They're all the same. Now, these are vehicles as they're addressed in the tax code, but it does not address necessarily what the investments are. So you can have a 401k that's invested in literally a savings account, or you can have a 401k that's invested in the most uh, aggressive mutual fund known to man. It all depends on what you decide to choose inside of that portfolio. And the benefit of those is I get to forego paying taxes in my earning years on that money. And I'm actually earning interest on top of not only the money I invested, but on top of the money that I would have otherwise paid taxes on up front. So you have this double, and some people will even say triple compounding effect uh, on your money. So it's a, it's a great way to save on taxes now. It's a great way to boost your, your investment savings over time or your rate of return. Once you've, uh, and there's some other benefits to those. Some companies will match and give you free dollars. But once you've kind of exhausted those or maxed those out, then you start looking in other directions of what should I utilize? And then you get into non-qualified dollars. And we'll circle back around to the Roth IRA because it's very unique at the end here. But non-qualified dollars, you put money in after you've paid taxes on them. So think of money that's already hit your checking account. I turn around and reinvest that. 
you can put that in anything from a uh, non-qualified annuity to buying shares of Amazon to buying mutual funds. Those are taxed at capital gains rates or can be tax deferred depending upon the investment. And then a Roth IRA, and I'm going to give you, I promise, a priority or an order list of how you should invest in all these things. But a Roth IRA is unique in and to itself. Money that you put into a Roth IRA goes in after tax. All the money, so you do not get the tax benefit up front, but all the gains inside of that investment account are tax-free. So every dollar you pull out of a Roth IRA is 100% tax-free as long as you left it there for five years. So if you think about somebody who's in their 20s, 30s, 40s that has 20, 30, 40 years worth of compounding, they could end up with four times the amount of money that they started with and pay no taxes on that 4% multiple. So the best line in the tax code is undoubtedly a Roth IRA. Now, there's some income restrictions that we have to play by there. But in general, if you were saying, I want to retire, I want to invest for retirement, and we weren't taking into account everybody's individual income situation or anything like that, in general, you should start with your 401k or 403b, at least up to the match. So if your company offers a 6% match, by all means, put 6% into your 401k and get the 6% match. That is literally free money. Do that every day. Please don't let that go by. Secondly, um, assuming you have an emergency account already saved, you should look towards a Roth IRA assuming that you're a little bit younger and not one or two years out from retirement. Then it gets a little bit more into a math equation. So Diane, in general, obviously it's a more complicated question. It depends on your individual situation. But in general, 401k up to the match. Roth IRA, if you can qualify, assuming that you've already accomplished having an adequate emergency fund, is the priority order to go through. And then once you get beyond all that, you start looking at other investments. We invite you to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. Give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And learn how the Aptus Blueprint helps reduce market risk and protect your income. If you take the challenge, Josh will give you a $25 gift card to help support our local community. It's one per household, and this works best with portfolios of $250,000 and up. I'm Diane Brennan, and this is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614 364 7300. That's 614 364 7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, what does it mean to be a fiduciary? And, uh, Let's talk about how important that is. Well, first, a fiduciary is somebody that has to act in your best interest. It was actually uh, started by a regulation that pointed that direction, and now you're seeing a lot of other entities follow. So there's essentially two ways that you can operate in the investment business. Way number one is fee-for-service, meaning that you cannot, you're a fiduciary, you cannot be disproportionately paid based upon what advice you give. The other is a broker. 
and I'm not begrudging brokers. I'm not saying there aren't great brokers out there, but they are compensated differently. And they're compensated based upon what they sell. And that compensation can vary widely. So certain investments might pay a, a 1% commission rate, while another might pay a 7 8 9% commission rate. And you don't really know uh, what those commission rates are as the consumer, so you're left trying to judge based upon speaking to the person that you think they're acting in your best interest, when in reality, they only have to do what's suitable for you. And suitability is a very broad brushstroke. You know, if you live in Florida and you go to look for a new pair of tires, uh, as long as the tires fit your car, they're suitable for your car, but you probably don't need snow tires in Florida, but maybe those snow tires were a higher commission rate to the person selling you the tires. That's essentially what can possibly happen in the broker environment. Again, I'm not saying that brokers uh, all do this. There's some very great brokers out there, but it certainly does leave room for the opportunity to take, be taken advantage of. So a fiduciary, you know, by definition, will be doing what is in your best interest every time because that's the way they're governed. And if they tell you to go with investment A or investment B, it's important to know that they're not being paid a disproportionate amount based upon which investment you decide to go with. They're giving you a non-biased recommendation. So first step, if you're looking for a financial professional to work with, a very good step would be just work with a fiduciary. At least you know what the playing field is that you're playing on. Another one, Diane, that I see all the time, though, that doesn't necessarily relate to a fiduciary, but it does relate to not knowing where the per person that you're meeting with's motivations lie, is, are the per is the person you're working with duly licensed? For example, if you meet with somebody and they say, I don't like any stock market investments, you should only buy an annuity or life insurance. Is it because they truly believe that? Or is it because they only have a life insurance license and they're not licensed to do securities? Or vice versa, is somebody saying annuities are awful and it's because they're not licensed to actually do annuities? So my suggestion would be, Find a fiduciary that you know is acting in your best interest, who has the ability to do every type of investment, but then also has the appropriate insurance licenses in your state at, at minimum to be able to recommend all of the products that may be the perfect fit for what you're trying to accomplish. And you know that they're looking at your particular scenario with very clear glasses on and non-biased glasses at that to know that they're doing everything in their power to do what's perfect for you and not what's perfect for them. And we want to stress to the listeners that you obviously are a fiduciary. I'm a fiduciary and I'm licensed in many, many, many states um, on the insurance side as well. So have clients all over the country. I want to make sure that I have the opportunity or all the arrows in my quiver to be able to satisfy every, everyone's uh, individual needs uh, perfectly to what's available in the marketplace. So I make sure that I have the appropriate licensure to do that. And for those listening, if you would like Josh to just look over uh, your portfolio and see how it's doing and give a second opinion, you can take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. So all you do is schedule a 15-minute call with Josh. It's no obligation. And get a second opinion on how you're doing. Josh will give you a $25 gift card to support our local community. The number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. The website, if you'd like to check it out, is aptuswealth.com. Dot com, And this is the best with portfolios of $250,000 and up. And Josh, that's because if it's less, then it's really, you can't really show them the benefits or the difference. That's correct, Diane. I mean, really to create a plan that minimizes risk appropriately while still maximizing return, 
diversification is critical. And unfortunately, on amounts less than that, it's difficult, at least with the investments that we utilize due to minimums, et cetera, to reach the level of diversification and still achieve the desired results with less than that dollar amount. Excellent. People are always wondering how much do they need to retire, or maybe they're not thinking of it enough, but how do you help help them figure that out? That's a great question, and here's why. I, I find that I hear arbitrary numbers all the time. Uh, I'll hear people say, I heard that I need a million dollars or I can't retire, or I, I heard that I need 10 times the amount of income that I make. And all of these are just completely arbitrary numbers that don't necessarily apply to your situation. And I think there's two reasons why you should absolutely know the number. And it's really not that difficult, by the way, Diane, to figure out the number. The number is how much do you actually need to live on when you retire after tax? And then reverse engineer the numbers back into what total pot of money do I need to make sure I can take those disbursements conservatively with reasonable assumptions for the remainder of my life and not run out of money. So in my world, it's a pretty easy equation to figure out. There's a lot of moving parts in there sometimes based upon people's individual situation. But at the core of it, it's a very universal, easy question in my world. But the second reason, or there's two reasons why I think that's critical. One, you need to know, obviously, so you save enough. We just got done saying that 50% of the population that's over the age of 55 doesn't have any retirement savings at all. So clearly it's important to have a target to shoot for or have a goal in mind. Because once we know what that goal is, then we can figure out how much do I need to save on a consistent, disciplined basis to hit that goal. So that's great. But it also is really beneficial for another group of people that we very rarely talk about, and that's the oversaver population. And I don't know if you know any of these people, Diane, but uh, I know a lot of them, and that is no matter how much they save or no matter what little amount they spend, they feel guilty about every dollar they spend and they can never save enough. Well, I, I know we talk about the people who overspend and don't save money, but that other side isn't a very happy group of people either. Um, so to be able to empower those folks with, you know, listen, you're sacrificing your happiness and your expenditures today with the future being unknown because you're saving at such an accelerated rate that is unnecessary. So as long as we save at this rate, you can no longer feel guilty about going out and actually enjoying the money you work so hard for. So it actually helps both sides of the equation. It helps the maybe late starters, the uh, little less fiscally disciplined group of people get on the right path, but it also lets the people who just can't spend money without feeling guilty, it, it gives them the ability to empower them to say, go out and enjoy it a little bit. It's okay. Uh, so that number is critical for both groups of people. I hear oftentimes, and the reason I bring up the second group, Diane, is I hear oftentimes, well, I save like crazy. My spouse saves like crazy. We have a bunch of money saved up. We're, you know, we don't need to know. We got it figured out. Well, yeah, but wouldn't it be nice to know that you can actually enjoy life a little bit more because you don't know what your real number is? Figure out what that number is and live your life. Well, and you might need a therapist for the latter because it's really hard for people to get over that fear of letting go of their money. It is. And, and to be honest, I fall into that category. You're the therapist. Um, I, yeah, I, I see I, that. I, I have a, I, I, well, I'm the therapist, but I also can empathize with people who are actually in that latter category because I, I'm a hyper saver. Uh, I feel guilty every time I spend money. Um, and I, you know, kind of like the old the housekeeper that doesn't do their own, uh, you know, has a dirty house. Uh, while I saved a lot, I knew kind of the generalities of how much I should be saving. So I didn't really do full-blown financial planning for myself up until five or 10 years ago. And it helped. 
it, it, it gave me the ability to actually go out and spend some money. And feel um, conf- which, confident that you can and, and still be yeah, fine. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing anything foolish. I'm not damaging my family. I'm not you know, going to go off the rails. I'm just enjoying the money I work hard for. And as long as I continue doing these one, two, three things, I'm covering all my bases. I'll be just fine in retirement. So I'm the opposite. So how would you rein me in? <laughs> I think I'm more positive. Oh, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. It'll be fine. Well, and I, I certainly envy people like that. That's great. As long as it isn't blind faith. So blind oh, it faith is. is, it is. You know, it'll be fine. You know, <laughs> one day a million dollars will drop out of the sky and land in my lap. So we're optimistic. And maybe it will. <laughs> we're optimistic. <laughs> maybe it will. It's definitely a dream and not a plan. Uh, so, you know, I try and rein people like, like you in by saying, here's an attainable goal that we can do that kind of meets a middle ground. And do you tell people to really consider now before they are in retirement, what are they actually going to do? What, what is their day going to look like? What activities do they enjoy? And then also have that discussion with their partner. Are you both on the same page? What you're going to do in retirement is critical to your health. Um, and I know I'm in the financial planning business and not in the emotional well-being business necessarily, but I've seen both sides of that coin. And if you don't have a plan, if you don't have hobbies that are going to provide you some sort of purpose, uh, you will either have a very short-lived retirement because you go back to work, or you'll have a short-lived retirement because the health problems seem to kick in really quickly for people who don't have a purpose-driven uh, type existence. So it has to be part of the conversation. Every time I meet with somebody who says, I think I'm, I'm a year out, my first question is always, what are you going to do and why? And how is that going to occupy your time? Because it's important. You're absolutely right. And having that conversation with their spouse as well, they may have an idea that they're going to go golfing uh, all the time, and their spouse may be wanting to travel. So they have to get on the same page. Do you ever find that your clients are on two separate pages when, when they're ready to retire, and then they're, they're in for a little bit of a shock? I hear many, many times, you know, I'll hear uh, a spouse, husband and wife, arguing back and forth in my office, and they stop in the middle and they go, why are we doing this in front of you? We apologize. We know you're not a marriage counselor. And I go, no, this is good, because it's good that we get this out so we're all on the same page so we know how to spend our resources appropriately. But yeah, I've seen, uh, unfortunately, people who don't have that plan and did not have that conversation, it ends up ending in divorce very late in life, which is you know, probably not the most apropos time to go through that, but it's because of lack of conversation, lack of communication, lack of planning. Uh, all that needs to happen throughout the process, which is why we meet with clients so often. It's not just in the beginning, but it's residual. We meet two, sometimes three, four times a year, but at least two where we just go over everything again. It gives us an opportunity to kind of chip away at new developments. Okay, now we're five years out. What's on your mind now? Uh, just over time, you end up learning more and more about your, about your scenario, your spouse, your, your financial plan, et cetera. How many years out of retirement should you have that conversation with your spouse? I would say the sooner the better. Today, everyone. But <laughs> yeah, but if you're not having that conversation and you're five or ten years out, then you're not addressing some goals that somebody might end up having some resentment over because they weren't addressed. Meaning that, you know, we've had some brief conversations about I always wanted to go back to school or I always wanted to, to travel to X location. I've mentioned it, but we haven't made it a solidified plan to make it happen and it keeps on getting brushed under the rug, that's very easy for somebody to resent the other person because it didn't make the priority list. So it's important that we have those conversations repetitively to make sure all of the appropriate things get on the priority list. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session or take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge, which basically gives you a second opinion on your portfolio from Josh, 
you'll get a $25 gift card from Josh to spend back in our community. The number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. When we come back, stress testing your retirement savings. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, should we be stress testing our retirement savings? And what does that mean? I think you should for sure. What does it mean? It means take your financial plan, take your savings, if you will, and throw some variables at it and see what impact it would have. So in our software, for example, very often uh, we can we can change these variables, but every single time, I say very often, every single time we stress test it. And what stress test in our world means is what if the economy pulls back by 20% in the first 10 years of your retirement? That can have an impact. That timing of when it happens can have an impact. What if tax rates go up by 5 or 10% per year every single year the whole time you're retired? Well, that would have a dramatic impact. What if the cost of living adjustment that you need, the cost of milk, goes up quicker than we think it's going to go up? We know it's been about 2.5% over the last 20 or 25 years, but what if it's 3 4%? How does that affect our retirement? So you stress test not only how your assets are going to react in the, avid- in the event of different market conditions, but you also stress test what if some external factors affect the amount of money that you'll need when you retire? And I think this points back to the necessity, by the way, for an emergency fund. An emergency fund buys you while it, it you hear it spoken about oftentimes is, you know, it's a dead asset, it's money under the mattress, it's not doing anything for you, it's not earning anything for you. And I feel like people who have large savings accounts almost feel bad about it sometimes, as silly as that sounds. They'll come into my office and go, I know it's stupid that I have that much money in cash. And sometimes it it is foolish, but oftentimes it's the appropriate amount of security blanket to help you get through the stresses of what it takes to be invested in the market or get through the stresses of what it takes to work in corporate America. and, And oftentimes people get laid off and you have these periods of time where you have to go find another job Oftentimes, it might be a blessing in disguise, but nevertheless, at the time, it never feels like it. And to have that security blanket of knowing I can weather this storm is very important. Stress testing is essentially looking at your entire portfolio, whether it's stocks, your work portfolio, meaning what if I lose my job? Because husband and wife might have two very different jobs, one being far more secure than the other. Um, What if one of us were to die? What are all of the variables that could hit? And let's make sure we have a security blanket wrapped around all of them. The the level of confidence that that brings you to know that you can weather quite a bit of stormy weather is a very powerful thing, which in turn puts people at ease. Kind of like the ultimate expression of that, I think, is when you reach financial independence. We don't talk about retiring as much in my office as we talk about financial independence. And people, even when they're in a job that they don't necessarily love, then doesn't bring them the fulfillment they wish they had, it's amazing how much better it gets when they know they don't have to be there. So financial independence means I don't have to work anymore unless I want to. And what they'll find is that level of comfort of knowing that I'm doing this because I want to and not because I have to makes all areas of their life more enjoyable. 
well, not as good as financial independence is making sure that you've stress tested the financial aspects of your life to know that if one or two storms hit the house, you're okay. Uh, you may not be able to walk away for good, but you have quite a backup plan, quite a, uh, an insurance policy wrapped around your life that you don't have to worry every day about the next shoe dropping. It's interesting how some people, their level of security uh, is different than others. So some people need, you know, a few million in the bank or several hundred thousand dollars. Do you find your clients are very different as to how much they need to get that good night's sleep and, and not be stressed about their retirement? All over the board. It's, it's uh, I mean, I, I literally have clients that have seven-figure dollar amounts in savings accounts and ones that have 5000 And you can point to a lot of reasons for that. Some of it's personality, just like you said, and some of it's their job. You know, if you're a, a physician in a very specialized field working for a state hospital, there's a very good likelihood that your job security is incredibly strong. Um, however, if you're in a very volatile industry and you're the low person on the totem pole, um, you know, a little more risk associated with that. And, and in turn, that could change the amount of money that you feel comfortable having in savings. The other is how much debt do you have? If you know it only requires two or $3,000 a month to keep you living just fine, that's a lot different than knowing that, you know, my mortgage payment's 7000 a month and I have these, you know, fancy cars and, well, you're going to need a larger security blanket or a larger emergency fund to feel comfortable in that environment. So it's a, a very unique thing. It's one we have a conversation about because we want to make sure that step one of every financial planning process is play defense before you play offense. Make sure that you have those bases covered and that you have the peace of mind to know that you can weather storms. And you'll tell the client, let's say they, they don't have fear, they do have the expensive cars, they do have a high mortgage payment, and you're concerned about where they're going for their retirement, you definitely have that conversation with them. Absolutely. Yeah, and sometimes, unfortunately, we're not in agreement, but that tough love is required. Um, so I'm going to tell them and show them the benefit of computers is you can show people visually what the future will look like if one of these landmines hits them and they're not prepared. So we're able to actually kind of forecast and extrapolate that out and go, you know, I know it seems foolish to have that extra ten or $20,000 sitting in cash, but that ten or $20,000 sitting in cash is going to prevent the turmoil of X, Y, and Z from occurring. Again, I'm not advocating giant cash positions, but it's absolutely important and a requirement to make sure you have some safety sitting there that suits your situation. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. We invite you to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. Schedule a 15-minute call with Josh to get a second opinion on your portfolio. He will give you a $25 gift card to support our local community. The number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com, and this is really the most effective with portfolios of $250,000 and up. It's a limited one per household. Josh, let's talk Social Security. And what do you, I mean, should we rely on that? What, how do you have those discussions with your clients? Yeah, well, I think the opinions on Social Security are about as wide and diverse as the opinions of how much we should have in a savings or emergency fund for most people. And that is, I hear that Many times people say, I don't want to count on it at all. I don't think it's going to be there. And other people will say, you know, it's absolutely going to be there. And I think the answer is somewhat in the middle. I don't think that Social Security, this is my opinion, but I don't think Social Security is going away. I do think that there's a very significant chance that it will be modified over time. 
and the younger you are today, the more impact you'll feel from that modification. So there's a couple important stats that are out there. One about one in every five married couple um, and almost uh, married couples and almost half of unmarried couples depend on Social Security for about 90 percent of their income in retirement. So we talk about these changes coming down the pipe and, and how will they affect people. We'll know that 20 percent of married couples and 50 percent of single people who are retired are relying on the lion's share, 90 percent of their retirement income. And if you're in that situation and now you're looking at what's happening in the world you're probably uh, looking at it very closely and somewhat petrified i mean what if 90 percent of my income comes from something that at the drop of a hat could be reduced by 10 20 30 percent that could completely change my life my enjoyment for the rest of my life and my ability to do things for the rest of my life and it's beyond my control so the critical piece here about social security is while i think that it will be a resource for everybody in retirement, what level of resource, and we certainly better be doing something to supplement that resource. So let me give you a couple ideas on what you can do to help pad your social security. Even if you feel like I'm in a situation where you know savings money is very, very difficult, we're living check to check, there are little things that you can do. One, if you're in that situation and you say, I can't save any money, Start micromanaging and tracking everything that you do for a month, and I bet you'll find a lot of fat in that budget somewhere. And I'm not telling you to go save $1,000 a month, but $25, $50 a month. Start somewhere. Start doing something. And initially, that $25 to $50 a month put in an emergency fund. And here's why. The power of getting ahead is so exponentially better than the power of getting behind. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. If you've ever met somebody that gets kind of on that, that hamster wheel of debt, they have the credit card, they have the, you know, the, the second uh, equity line on their home, they, have, they just keep on taking out debt, it seems like a hamster wheel you can never get off of. And the reason it seems that way is you bought something for $1,000 on your credit card, but now it's at 20 or 18% interest, and you're making minimum payments, and you're still going out and buying new stuff versus paying that off. That's a very difficult hamster wheel to get off of because the math is not working in your favor. But on the flip side of that, once you get ahead and you have $5,000, $6,000 in a savings account, those unforeseen things that come up, so uh, you, know, you need a new hot water tank, etc., they don't change your ability to continue saving monthly. They just get taken out of a savings account, so you're not paying 10 20 25% interest on that same water heater. Where what happens when you get on that, that hamster wheel of, of death, if you want to call it that, is you, you end up, you know, I bought something cool. Now I'm making payments on it, and there's Murphy with his head right around the corner just waiting. That's when, absolutely every time, that's when the hot water tank goes out. And it exacerbates the problem, and now you're trapped, and it's difficult to get out. So to get ahead, and in, in maybe this is, I guess, a public service announcement, and, and for many people who are listening, this might not be, they go, I get it, I, I save, I'm disciplined, I'm in that category of people who need you know, financial planning as it relates to estate planning, et cetera. But financial planning goes all the way back to how do I get off that hamster wheel, how do I get ahead? And the trick is manage your expenses, track them, start small, slowly build up. Be amazed how many times you can start at 25 bucks a month and within five years you're going, you know, I'm now at two, $300 a month because I realized how much, you know, it didn't really impact my life. I was just spending money I wasn't even aware of. And once you get ahead, 
the speed in which you continue to get ahead is exponential. And that impact on your retirement and having that supplemental money beyond Social Security, I think not only will it prove to be valuable, it'll prove to be essential over the next 20 or 30 years. We just don't know exactly what that, that picture is going to look like 20 or 30 years from now. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session or take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge, where Josh will give you a second opinion on your portfolio, you'll get a $25 gift card to support our local community. The number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com. It's spelled A-P-T-U-S, wealth.com. I'm Diane Brennan, and this is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. When we come back, why you should learn about whole life insurance. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. Or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614 364 7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. Josh, what is whole life insurance and is it something that everyone should consider? Whole life insurance is a type of of permanent insurance. And there's two types of insurance. There's term and there's permanent. Term is what most people are well aware of. It's what they get typically through their employers. It's renting insurance. You pay a monthly premium. In some instances, it can go up. In other instances, you can lock the rate of the premium for a period of time. But then once you quit paying on it, you no longer have insurance. There's no cash value. There's no nothing attached to the insurance. It's, it's almost like auto insurance, but on your life. That's term. Permanent insurance is a plan where you are planning on contributing to it uh, for the foreseeable future that will build some sort of inherent cash value usually and that will be around for sure when you die, whether that's 10 years from now or when you're 110. doesn't matter. You're buying this insurance for the purpose of being there to pay out when you die. Now, a lot of people don't go down the permanent insurance route because it's clearly more expensive. Uh, for example, term insurance on a 20-year-old might be, you know, 20 bucks a month on a million-dollar policy, um, but term insurance on an 80-year-old, you know, might be 20,000 a month on the same policy. I mean, that, they just range greatly. The purpose of permanent insurance is locking in a level premium, overpaying when you're young so that you can underpay when you're older, and in turn, this extra bucket of cash value that you've been accumulating by overpaying when you're young starts picking up the tab and it's there forever. And the benefit of that cash value that you're building up inside the policy is not only does it pay for the insurance, but you can access that cash for other things. Whether you're doing planning for your kid's college education or you want to use it in retirement. And the the claim to fame of permanent insurance is if structured properly, the tax code allows for withdrawals out of permanent insurance on tax favorable basis. Now, I don't want to dive too deep into the weeds on this, but there's ways that you can take loans off of your own policy or do what's called surrendering to basis and then going to loans. And it essentially enables you a way to get tax-free income in retirement. 
Now, does that mean that it's for everybody? No, it's not. What are the downsides to it? Well, one, insurance does in fact have a lot of costs associated with it. In other words, if you had no other investments and you said, I'm just going to put all my retirement savings in insurance, while it would have some benefits in that if you died, well, it's almost a self-completing plan. It, f it pays money to your beneficiaries um, at a very exponentially greater amount than what you probably have paid into it. And then if I retire, I can pull money out tax-free. That's all great. It sounds like it's the perfect complement. But there are issues with permanent life insurance, and that is you're paying a cost of insurance, you're paying administrative costs, you're paying a lot of different fees inside of the policy. And the other downside is, depending upon how you structure your life insurance policy, if you're not paying enough into it, the fees are chewing up a larger percentage of what you're paying into it because some of those fees are flat. So typically the way that I view whole life insurance is this. You're a young couple or individual or somebody that has beneficiaries that you want to make sure that you take care of you're 35 years old, you're making a good living, make sure you have enough term insurance to cover your beneficiaries. Make sure you're contributing to your 401k, at least up to the match. If you're eligible, contribute to the Roth IRA. Obviously, this is all predicated on having a, an appropriate emergency fund account. But then if beyond that, you still need a place to save some money, then whole life insurance might be a great place to look. But unfortunately, historically speaking, Whole life insurance has been an approach for, you know, many people. When I was born, my mother bought me a whole life insurance policy. That was just the thing that everybody did back in the day. There were door-to-door -door life insurance salesmen that would come knock on your door and, and, you know, say, buy this small policy to make sure that your final expenses are covered. Um, it's not the most efficient way to save for retirement until you get past a few other vehicles. Um, so while whole life insurance, permanent insurance that includes universal life and a whole host of others, while they're great vehicles, and I certainly employ them in my practice, they have to be used appropriately. And many times, as with all insurance or all commission-based products for that matter, sometimes they're oversold. And that gets back to the, are you working with a fiduciary? You're working with a commission-based broker or insurance agent. If my only arrow in my quiver to make money is... I sell you a term insurance policy and make very little, or I convince you to pay a lot more for a whole life insurance policy and I make a heck of a lot more, and those are my only two arrows, well, then I might probably convince you to buy a whole life insurance policy, whether it's appropriate for you or not. It may be appropriate. It may not. You just don't know why the person is telling you you should do it. So work with a fiduciary who's duly licensed who can do both. Then you know that they're guiding you down a path that's appropriate for you. And I cannot stress that enough, is make sure you understand the bias of the people you're working with, because if you follow that, you can usually follow the advice. I've always heard that whole life insurance is a good tax loophole. And you mentioned the example of a couple. What about single professionals or what about single people? I'm asking for a friend. Sure, sure. It is the only investment in the tax code, with the exception of really a Roth IRA, where you put money in after tax, it grows tax deferred, and you can withdraw money out of it tax free. So where I really, really like, particularly universal life insurance, is high wage earners. If you're a young high wage earner, you can overfund the living heck out of a universal life insurance policy. You're doing it for the purposes of tax free retirement income more than you are the life insurance. But you have to structure the policy appropriately. 
because there's guidelines you have to abide by. And if you exceed certain thresholds, it becomes what's called a modified endowment contract. It becomes taxable and there's a whole host of problems. So I think the takeaway, Diane, is it can apply for various people in various different situations, but it has to be structured appropriately. And people who are just out there selling life insurance policies usually list something called target premium, which target premium, I'll let you behind the curtain a little bit, is the max premium that you can get paid the full amount of commission off of. So that's the perfect amount to tell you to put in every month because that maximizes my commission. When in reality, that might not be the right amount. The right amount might be the minimum amount of premium that I can put into a policy and guarantee my death benefit for the rest of my life. Or it may be the maximum amount of premium that I can put in to maximize the amount of cash value. But one thing that brokers hate is you're going to put $20,000 into a life insurance policy every single year to maximize the cash value that you'll end up getting in retirement because that does maximize exactly what you said, that tax-free income. But it only has a target premium of $2,000, and that's all I get paid off of because the other 18 is just throwing in more cash value. I don't know if I explained that well enough. Yeah. So everyone who's not a fiduciary will be upset with that. If you're a fiduciary, then you're working the best interest of your clients, and you won't mind saying that's a great thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I hate to say that there are people in that category. I feel like I'm picking on people, but it happens all the time. It's what's best for them and not what's best for you. Work with a fiduciary like us. We'll tell you what works best for you. And you're not picking on people. They sound like scammers. So we appreciate that advice for sure. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. We invite you to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. Schedule a 15-minute call with Josh to get a second opinion on your portfolio and how it's doing. You'll get a $25 gift card to support our local community. The number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com. And this is... The the most effective with portfolios of $250,000 and up. It's a limit of one per household. Josh, there's information on the internet telling people they'll likely be paying lower taxes in retirement. What's your reaction to that? Well, that's been the age-old adage. The concept is invest money in your 401k, save the tax dollars today because you're in a higher tax bracket than, uh, today than you will be in retirement because most people say you only need 60, 70, 80% of your pre-retirement earnings to live off of in retirement. I'm sure you've heard this, Diane. And then obviously if I'm living on 60, 70, 80% of what I'm making today, it'll be a less tax bracket. And while conceptually that's true, it does in fact ignore a couple of things. One, let's just talk about the status of our economy today. And that is that we just added an additional $3 trillion to the debt in a very, very short window vis-a-vis COVID. And I believe the last I read, we've added over the last four years about $6 trillion in debt. And you could, uh, I don't want to get in a political conversation, but you could say that that's, you know, the current president's fault. But it certainly seems if you look over history that every president is very, very comfortable adding to the debt because our overall debt has not gone down. It's done nothing but go up over the last 50 years. So that concept of debt is continuing. Interestingly, just Recently, back in uh, July 31st, I believe there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal releasing Joe Biden's tax plan. And while we won't dive into whether or not it's right or wrong or whether whether it'll trigger the economy to do better things or, or who knows, everybody's got their own theory. But what it did say is every single tax bracket will go up. So we know where we are today. Let's say that you're exactly where you are today and then you retire 
there's a good chance that tax brackets are going to go up, which may or may not affect how much you pay in taxes. So I'm of a completely uh, different belief and, and a belief of many of my colleagues, and that is that while we don't know where taxes are going to go, um, it's be very difficult to justify a position that you believed over the next 30 years they were going to go down. So if we believe that tax rates are going to go up and we believe that you should do planning and planning should take into account the fact that you're going to have to make this money last for a really long time. Longevity in this country is very strong, much stronger than it was 30, 40 years ago, 50, 60 years ago for sure. So you have two things to plan for. You have longevity, you have low interest rates, and you have uh, increasing taxes, which means you probably need a larger pot of money to start with, which means you're going to need more income for a longer period of time. None of those point in a direction of higher of your taxes being lower over time, more than likely. So my belief and the belief of many of my colleagues is take control of your tax situation. We don't know what the future of taxes will hold, but we do know that if we can minimize taxes overall, regardless of what the rate is down the line, that's obviously a good thing. So start looking at things like uh, Roth IRA conversions when taxes are incredibly low like they are today. Start looking at not just arbitrarily withdrawing funds from your retirement accounts and your non-qualified accounts and your cash value life insurance like we talked before, but create a strategy and a plan that tries to minimize the impact of taxes by blending where you pull money from involving all of those assets. So don't arbitrarily just take it from one and when that one's gone, take it from another. That may be a very foolish way to take money out of investments. Try and control your tax situation to the best you can believe. This is a very long-winded answer, Diane, to I don't believe that your tax situation has a propensity of staying much lower than your working years for most people for the foreseeable future. I think if you were an incredibly high wage earner uh, during your working years and now you're living on a lot less than that, obviously you can have a lower income tax bill in retirement. But what we see as we look at all the stats in America is most people retire on approximately the net after-tax dollar amount of what they were living on when they were working. And most people in the middle-income category of the world, that means they're going to be paying a very similar tax bill when they retire if they're pulling all their funds from 401ks and pensions as when they were working. So I think that's a, a fallacy, uh, and it's even a greater fallacy moving forward if, if tax rates start to climb, which I can't envision a scenario where that isn't a very high likelihood. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy and to schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com. It is spelled A-P-T-U-S, wealth.com. Thanks again. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer.
Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.